Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Tara Tuttle and with me is Rebecca Mazzino and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. So this week we are talking to my friend Alex who has nagged me to come on the podcast despite having not listened to an episode yet um, because he has a lot to say, haven't you? Plenty, plenty to say. <laughs> despite not listening to any of the episodes yet. So yeah. um, I bet you the first episode you listen to is the one that you're on. Probably, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> the reason why uh, I have decided that it is worth having you on is because you have uh, a lot to say and some of it is interesting and useful. And so I think that if we have a little chat about your journey, other people might be able to learn something. So start at the beginning. Why Why are you, why, am I, why are we talking to you today? What's so interesting about you and stuff? What's so interesting about me? Um, <laughs> three, about three years ago, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness um, called fibromyalgia. So the pain pathways in the body sort of read the signals different to everyone else. So I'm in basically a state of constant pain. So all of my muscles hurt, my joints hurt. I get extra sensitive to things like light and sound and smell and things like that. So I can pick up smells that are really far away when most people wouldn't. So it just becomes a little bit more hypersensitive than anything. And so how's that had an effect on your life? It's definitely made me stop and think a lot more about life itself rather than everything else floating around it. I've intentionally had to slow down what I do and not be so busy. It's... Mm kind of like um, having a battery, you wake up in the morning and instead of being 100% fully charged, you're on maybe 30% one day and 40 the next. It's, it varies on how you can feel each day and you have to manage that pretty constantly. So as far as strategies that you've put in place to help you manage that, uh, you've talked to me before about embarking on a bit of a journey into minimalism. So how did you how did you figure out that minimalism might be able to help you? The the journey with min- minimalism probably started several years before. I had a lot of stuff floating around. I moved from one house to another at one stage and I had a desk and a lounge suite and a bed sitting in the garage and I moved it from one garage to the other and it sat there and then it did it for another house as well. And eventually I got sick of all of that stuff so I started getting rid of it. It probably came into the foray a little bit more when the diagnosis of fibro was pending. It took them about 18 months worth of tests to to actually find out that it was there. And it's not something that can be diagnosed via a blood test or anything like that. They have to do um, a series of tests to or almost like a process process of elimination. That's what I was just about to say. It's more like counting out other things really, isn't it, than, than actually concluding what it is, yeah. There was something like 15 or 16 different other things they tested for with blood first to make sure it wasn't any of them before I went further in the process to find out if it was actually fibro. So, mm. um, But as that was impending, I spent more time getting rid of more stuff in the house and not so much being preachy with minimalism but trying to have less stuff so that doing things around the house became less work and I had more time to wind myself down, relax and do more intentional and a lot slower things with my life. So that's probably Mm -hmm. where it came in 
um, just before uh, the diagnosis hit. So. so where are you now with the minimalism journey? So it's been sort of good what, three or four years after you started. Where are you up yeah. to? I do find that I have less to spend cleaning in the house, which is a good thing. Sometimes it can be literally an hour of cleaning in the house and I'm done. But then even 20 minutes, I can be flawed for the rest of the day. It depends entirely on how much my body's been through during the week. So um, it can be a case of like that. But as I say, at the moment, I've got crap everywhere. I still have stuff. There is stuff around the house that I'm getting rid of still. It's not something that is going to be an overnight success or a habit you would get overnight. It's something you really do have to train yourself to and get used to, I think. Yeah, it's it's still a process for me. Yeah, because you do hear some stories, especially like there's the the minimalist. You and I talk about the minimalists a fair amount, and you know yep. they had their packing party, and it was kind of it wasn't. I mean, what, for one of them, it took about a year. Um, yeah, I think for Joshua, he said he spent about a year, but um, for Ryan, he he had a packing party, and it was sort of all done and dusted really quickly. So you do hear yep. these stories about people who just get rid of it all in one go, and yeah. Um, I think that's that's not really something that most people do. They they probably do take their time a bit more. Yeah, I think if you want to have it as a lifestyle change in the long run, you will need to get used to it over a period of time. Whereas you've seen stuff like Marie Kondo pop up on Netflix with her series and it's created a big splurge of everyone going and throwing everything out. But mm. they might be done in a week and then two months later they've probably ended up buying more stuff, filling their houses with things and then they go, what happened to that nice tidy house I had two months ago? They haven't formed that habit to think about what they're buying that comes back in the house as well. Yeah, that's what we we talked about, that we've recorded – a couple of episodes on Marie Kondo. If you listened, Alex, see, here you go. You <laughs> um, but we did talk about uh, the fact that there there doesn't seem to be a long-term plan. There is this assumption made about the system that you do it once and it just stays like that. And yeah. you know, from our experience, you know, and obviously with yours as well, it just doesn't happen that way. It's just not realistic. So what is realistic? Be prepared for the long haul. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. So get used to making changes but also being aware of your changes as well so walk through Kmart don't buy anything look at stuff but don't buy it that's you know one of those things you can look but don't buy because mm. items are so cheap people will buy it on impulse because you know five dollars or something's not going to matter all that much um, yeah there is that mindset of oh it doesn't matter if it doesn't match or it doesn't matter if it breaks or it doesn't matter if I don't like it yeah. again in two weeks because it only cost me three dollars uh, yeah. that does happen a lot with that the, the the whole Kmart mentality which you know mm. I wonder I might do a whole like three hour mini series on Kmart one day <laughs> I think I could <laughs> I really think I could talk about it for I could, could rant yeah. on my soapbox for a very long time but yeah, uh, yeah. so with regards to, to chronic illness, how do you think, I mean, apart from reducing housework, are there any other ways that reducing your belongings helps if you if you do have a chronic illness? I, I guess the, the mental headspace as well is that I can come home and I can, you know, I've had a, a massive week of work and most people come home and they go, I need to do this, I need to do that. And, you know, they have 10 million things on their list that they need to do. Mm. I'll get home and they'll be like, two or three things I need to do on the weekend that are regular and I can do them very quickly. So I don't have as much stuff to do anymore. And it's not just keeping the house clean. It's, it's 
because I don't have those things, I have that mental space that there's no urgency for me to get them done. Uh, I can do them at any stage over the weekend. Yeah, so if you have a bad day, you can just go, it's okay. Like yeah. I'm, I'm having a day where I really can't do anything but it's okay because it doesn't mean that there's going to be you know, three times as much to do in a few days' time. It's, it's yeah. still not going to be much to do. So you can sort of yeah. look around you and go, I can – I'm okay with not being able to do anything today. Whereas I think yeah. you know, if you did have all that stuff around you, you would lay there stressing out about, you know, well, I need to rest. My body needs to rest. But all I see is it building and building and building. Yeah, yeah. That's probably one of the things is that I've, I have a flare-up with fibro. I can be three days in bed or on the couch doing nothing, barely awake at all. That's the extreme end of it though. But I know that... I'm not going to have to be too worried about doing anything around the house because it's not going to be too bad as it is already and it's not going mm. to get any worse. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, so when it um, does all sort of fall apart, it's easy to pick it up again and start, yeah, start again yeah, without too much stress, yeah. The rest definitely becomes something you have to schedule in regularly as well. So by having less to do, I can schedule downtime, I can schedule time with people I want to spend time with, uh, you know, do the things I want to do rather than doing things that are responsibilities but also that you have to do rather than I spend more time doing things that I want to do. So um, mm. that's probably where it's it's giving me a bit more lifestyle flexibility as well. Yeah, and I think that could apply to everyone really, couldn't it? You wouldn't have to have a chronic illness to really enjoy having more time doing the things you want yeah. to do instead of the things that you kind of have to do. What about other people around you, your your friends? Do you see a difference in your lifestyle to your friends and do they notice a difference in your lifestyle? Yes, they do notice the difference in my lifestyle. Probably my, um, I guess, my attitude. A lot of people say I'm ridiculously calm when there's a lot of stuff going on. I guess probably the prime example might be my parents. You would probably have a field day with them being borderline hoarders. Um, it's not particularly bad, but they have a lot of stuff and I go up there and it's it's pretty full on for someone who doesn't have a house full of things everywhere. Mm. But I think that kind of thing plays onto anxiety of people as well, that when something happens around the house, it becomes a big panic to get done. So um, that might happen while I'm there and I don't panic at all. It's I mean, while it's not my problem, some people can feed off anxiety of others and it doesn't happen to me um, mm. when things do happen for them up there. Um, dishwasher broke one time and water was going through the kitchen and I wasn't particularly worried about it. So um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit like that. So, um, Is that because you didn't have to pay for the new flooring? <laughs> um, no, no, it's just it, the flooring's already ruined. So why, why <laughs> panic about getting the water up as quick as possible? Um, I guess that's my frame of mind on it. If it's already damaged, it's not going to get any worse. So yeah, it's it's a bit with friends as well. I've been over to two friends' place who's got some illnesses as well and probably a lot worse than I have to deal with. And it can be times where they're, they're completely flawed and it can last for several weeks. Um, <sighs> Um, and, and things do tend to build up and that's when it becomes a little bit more intense for people who've got kids or stuff like that because the, the kids become a priority and there's less things in the house that, that are neglected, um, mm -hmm. you know, keeping certain places tidy. They, it becomes something where they just neglect it and just run with doing the basics that they can manage from day to day until they're ready to get back to that and it can be months. It can be up to yeah. months before they get to something, so... You know, it might be a pile of laundry that'll sit there for for a couple of months. So, 
Yeah. And I guess um, you being single with no kids sort of means that if no, if if you're not up and about and doing things, nothing's changing. Uh, when you, I mean, it doesn't obviously make the it any easier for you because you still have yeah. chronic pain. But I'm yep. imagining as well having that with children because children, they just make so much mess and they create, <laughs> you know, so much stuff just by being children. You know, they don't have to be poorly behaved children or anything like that. It just, yeah. It's just children and they just come with stuff. And I think that, yeah. yeah, if you were flattened for a week, I cannot imagine the amount of build-up that there would be just simply from the kids, you know, yeah, the feeding them and clothing them. It's a bit like a snowball effect that once you get floored, it will continue to, to roll with that snowball until it becomes an avalanche. Um, if there are kids mm. around, it does become more of a task for, for those people. So, yeah. Yeah. So have you said to your friends with, with chronic illness that you'd recommend a minimalist lifestyle? Yes. Yeah. Without a doubt. I've said it several times that it would benefit them purely for health reasons mainly. it's. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, the the fad that comes with it or saying you're a minimalist or anything like that, but the fact that it would give them a bit of an easier time to do what they need to do from day to day and week to week rather than just managing, you know, a day it can come down to. Sometimes you'll just try to manage a day and get through and then work out the next one when it rolls around. So if you um, – one, hopefully, hopefully this pain doesn't last forever – and you come out the other side of it, do you think you would change the way you saw your stuff if you didn't have this illness? No, no. I was probably part of the way there before I was diagnosed and before any of mm. the illness hit. So um, it was. it's a bit daunting to have a lot of stuff around and not know what to do with it. That was probably part of my problem. What do I do with all this stuff? And eventually it became give it away, donate it, sell it, get rid of it. And that's where... Places like eBay, Gumtree, Facebook Marketplace are starting to become very popular because people are getting rid of their stuff. So the illness certainly hasn't changed my frame of mind on where my lifestyle is and where it's going. I'm getting a lot more things I want to do done rather than things I have to and need to. Yeah, well, that's good. And that, I think that's the whole the whole reason that minimalists do that, that they, they do discard a large proportion of their belongings is for that freedom, isn't it? And there are a lot of detractors who say, oh, minimalists are boring <laughs> and they're cold and they're, you know, in half the time yeah. what what the criticisms are describing is actually more the minimalist aesthetic from a decorating yeah. perspective rather than yeah. a lifestyle. But there are all these criticisms. Uh, it's amazing. I think the critics are the ones who haven't opened their mind quite enough to see what minimalism is about. They think a minimalist is someone who's going to have a house with nothing in it um, and mm. that's probably getting to the extreme end of it where there's maybe, you know, 2% of anyone who could put themselves in the minimalist basket are probably the extremists whereas the rest of the people are day-to-day, everyone else, they just have a little bit less stuff and they're a bit more conscious of what they purchase and why they purchase it and how long it's going to stay around for and where it's going to go at the end of it. Mm. Um, but I think that's the, the people who criticise are the ones who haven't taken the time to stop and ask the questions rather than just criticise of what they think they know about it. Mm, yeah, they make assumptions, don't they? Um, and yeah. I, I heard one criticism that minimalism is just for rich white guys. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I mean, that's probably because of the minimalists. Um, I don't, I mean, they 
they certainly did have a lot of money before they got rid of all of their stuff and quit their jobs. And I'd say that they've probably got plenty yeah. of money now. But it's interesting. Like I, I actually think the opposite, and I actually think that I think people with with limited funds and income benefit greatly from minimalism myself i don't understand yeah. how people think that it's just for rich rich people rich single people i, I think there's great benefits to people with limited funds mm. okay so we've talked about what you don't have what do you have what what do your possessions actually what are your possessions actually made up of what do you have and what do you buy i think Maybe a couple of years ago, I got tired of the IKEA furniture that would fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a couple of years out of it, the rails would bust on something, and you, you know you'd, you'd find them on the side of the road for hard rubbish pickup. Mm-hmm. I had a set of drawers from IKEA did that, and I ended up getting a mate from high school to build me a tall boy out of solid timber. Nice. It was made from recycled Oregon from a house in Blackwood that was eighty years old. It's heavy. It's going to stick around for at least another hundred years. So my intent with that was to have something that would last a while and be made from timber that was, you know, recycled or reused. So, um, and that was what his business was at the time, was specialising in using repurposed timber into his products. So, so, it's important to you then when you're purchasing something to know that you don't have to repurchase again later? Yeah, and I guess also that I'm not really keen on it being thrown into landfill and just being something that's going to sit there and break down and pollute the planet after a while. I'm, I'm probably more conscious of where the stuff goes before I even purchase it. And it's not only just a purchase. I mean, I got the tall boy built. So I had it built from scratch for the purpose of, of making sure that it's going to stay around for a long time rather than collapse in three years and have to buy something else. So, mm. um, I mean, if you had a lifespan on a set of drawers from Ikea and they collapse every three years, imagine how many sets of drawers you'd go through and hundreds of dollars you'd spend over the, the space of your life versus buying something that will last mm. for, you know, 100 years. One of the ideas of it was um, we have another tall boy that's at my parents' place and it was my great-grandmother's. So that's already 100 years old and it's still going strong. Oh, wow. So I basically said, can you clone that but make it out of recycled timber, which he did. Great. So you've, you're supporting the environment, you're supporting local business, you're doing sort of minimal waste um, there's a lot wrapped up in that one purchase, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Even down to the scraps of timber that get cut off, they get thrown in the fire and burnt while we have a beer at the end of the day. So there mm. is, you know, uses for everything in the end of it. Um, yeah. Sawdust mixed into the ground for compost. It's, you know, the 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 ideas are endless with it. So. But what if it's not trendy though, Alex? I mean, surely it's not going to be trendy for that whole hundred years. How are you going to possibly survive if you don't have a trendy chest of drawers? I'm not worried about that. <laughs> I don't think I'll be around in a hundred years. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll let the I'll let the future generations deal with that with the probably floating tall boys or something in bedrooms by then. Who knows? <laughs> floating. You're in yep. IT. You know better than to make those kind of predictions. You're just going to look stupid. <laughs> I've I've taken the the chance for being more aware with the, the waste that I create and where it goes by I guess this probably comes where something we've both seen which is the war on waste. I know you're a bit of a, a fanboy of Craig, so oh, I was so excited to meet him, I tell you what. And it was like you know, I just for the listeners' benefit, I met Craig Rucastle and at the um, Simplified Living and Lifestyle Expo that I helped organise in Sydney last year. 
and he was um, one of our speakers. And when he arrived, I was lucky enough to to be right there when he sort of walked in. I was the first person that he came to. And the other members of the organising committee kind of came running, but it was all done really quickly and I was one of only two or three of us that got a selfie with Craig because I was not going to let that <laughs> opportunity go uh, and I did get a chance to talk to him a little bit and obviously heard him speak and yeah he's just awesome I he's he's quite passionate and he he what's the word he he talks the walk or he walks the talk he he rode his walks bike yep he rode his bike to the venue um so he was sort of very environmentally um, obviously sort of doing, practicing what he preaches, which was really, really good to yep. see. So, uh, yeah, it was very exciting. So anyway, yeah, you can, I've finished fangirling now. You can go back to talking about the show. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, this yeah. guy, Craig Rehustle has a, had a series on the ABC called The War on Waste and it was extremely eye-opening. It was. Um, there was quite a bit on there that was eye-opening for me um, in terms of the food wastage that the country goes through for the sake of perfection of what we see in the the supermarket shelves, I probably got a little bit passionate about where my waste goes from the industry I work in, which is IT. We go through so much hard waste mm. in terms of circuit boards and components and all of that kind of stuff. So we do take old clients' PCs, we keep them, we get them picked up in a giant truck essentially and they go off for recycling and they, they get dealt with properly and they don't end up in landfill but when I saw War on Waste, there was a lot of stuff that I was looking at and going, okay, I do an okay job, but I can do it a lot better. Mm. And I'm at the stage now where it's been 18 months since I've put my garden, uh, not my garden, the general waste bin outside. It sits there with stuff sitting on top of it to prop it up off the ground at the moment. So um, can, can you just so, repeat that? Because I don't think that, I think that that bears repeating. You haven't put your landfill bin out for how long? 18 months, year and a half. So it all goes to recycling. That's awesome. I still have plastic and stuff that comes in. Um, mm. So, you know, bottles, cans, all that go into my recycling bin. My soft plastics go into a, a, another uh, plastic bag, take it down to the Coles red recycling bin. When I do my grocery shopping, um, I have an organics bench top bin. I put all my food scraps in there. They go into the green waste bin and that goes out every fortnight along with the other recycling lot. That's essentially what, all it does. So, so what do you do with foam? Like, because I know foam can't be recycled and that's largely what goes in mine because I'm, I'm similar to you. I recycle yeah. as much as I can. I've got the, the – I do exactly the same as you actually. Why have not we run into each other yeah. at the Coles bin? But um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm always taking my soft plastics down to to recycle and obviously recycle as much. As, and the, we actually get money for the cans and the bottles and that as well, so we do that. Yeah. But what goes in my landfill – bin is quite often like foam things and um yeah do you get that do you just not buy it i try and buy stuff without foam in it or anything that's probably going to end up in landfill so that's mm. where i guess my conscious decision comes when i buy stuff that's everyday items what is it wrapped in where is it going yeah um when i do get foam from memory speaking to a recycling guy they can't recycle it but they can put it to places where it can be dealt with so they can crush it down to whatever they need to um okay but that was quite some some time ago that i'm i was told about that so might be obsolete by now yeah it might not be able to go like in the council sort of stuff it might be something special so like the e-waste can't get picked up every week 
by the council. You take that to a special centre. Maybe there is somewhere for foam as well because that's my biggest bugbear is the foam. And um, the meat trays because there are sometimes I'll yeah. find meat in a tray and most of the time it's that hard plastic but sometimes it's that foam and um, maybe I just need to stop buying it in the foam to begin with. Yeah, I guess if you want to be aware of the stuff that your your food's coming in and what's going to happen to the packaging and where it goes once you've used it, if foam can't be recycled, go to the butcher. They'll wrap it up in paper for you. You can get mm. beeswax wraps now. You can get all sorts of, things, sorts of things to put your your food in. Just be a little bit more conscious of what you're doing. And it doesn't have to be something that changes instantly in one shop. You can go, all right, I'm going to do my veggies this week and make sure I don't bring home anything wrapped in plastic I still Mm. get my veggies and put them in a plastic bag but it goes straight back into the recycling one and then back to Coles into the the red bin at some stage I'd like to not be getting them at all and getting you know the reusable bags but it's just sort of it's get to it when I can type thing so um my mum made me some so she made some reusable vegetable bags and yep. I have a feeling, I haven't told her this yet, she'll hear this, but I have a feeling that they weigh more than the plastic ones and I think I'm paying <laughs> a bit extra for my Probably, vegetables yeah. every week, but I don't yeah. care. Um, I'm quite happy. But yeah. it's when I started doing that and I, um, I went through a phase of just not using those, the vegetable bags at all and just putting my vegetables all in a pile in the, in the, in the trolley and then yep. my husband said, he goes, where are all the freezer bags? Because he uses them occasionally for things. And I just said, oh, I don't, I try not to get them anymore. And then mum gave me these reusable ones. So uh, I use those. So he still sometimes goes looking for a freezer bag and um, <laughs> and they're just not there. I'm like, oh, you have to, you have to be yeah. um, innovative and think of another, another way to do whatever it is that you need to do. Yeah. So you're zero waste. I wouldn't say zero. I'm Almost. gradually reducing it. Mm. Um, yeah, as um, I mean, zero waste of the people who can fit their years worth of rubbish into a jar, um, oh, like I've seen before. That's that's zero waste. You know, they're putting the stickers from their apples in there and stuff like that. But um, that's the extreme, and good on them. It's a good way to go. It'd be nice if we could all get that way. Mm. I'm would probably say I'm low waste. I'm still using stuff um, that you know needs to be recycled. You haven't put your landfill bin out. In 18 months, that's pretty good. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. I'm not putting anything into the ground that's going to sit there for you yeah. know longer than I'll be on this planet. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's where I'd like to be. Yeah, and you're reducing your purchases of, of things that are going to end up in the ground. Okay, so Alex, if you had someone with a chronic illness with clutter issues ask you for your most sage advice, what would you tell them? Definitely look into it, give it a go, stick with it. And you'll probably see the outcomes at some stage. They may be small at the start, but eventually you'll see the bigger picture, I think. Well, thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you. And um, I think that it's been really insightful and I got to rave about Craig Castle, so that's always <laughs> fun. Um, so thank you very much for coming on and chatting frankly and honestly and sharing your life with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. And this week's decluttering challenge is old medication. Now, this one is really easy peasy because most medications have a use-by date on them. So pull out your 
medicine drawer or your cupboard or wherever you store those things, have a look, have a read of the labels. If they are past their date, throw them out. But think of a really eco-friendly way to throw them out. A lot of the time you can't just throw pills and prescription drugs into your trash. Sometimes they need to be crushed up first. Um, I will put a link on the website about an ethical way to dispose of medicines. Um, If you're not sure, the other thing you can always do is drop them back to your local pharmacy and they'll take old medications and dispose of them for you. Good luck. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all of your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or via Facebook and Instagram or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.